everyone. I'm Jeremy. And this is Mike. Welcome to House Calls Podcast, a call-in show where we answer your home-related questions. Call 1-800-511-6842 to join in the fun and have us answer your questions. Call now. Michael. JK. In a previous episode of the House Calls podcast, I put together a top 10 list of homeowner tools for general maintenance. Yes. In episode eight. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you should check it out. They should check out episode eight regardless. Yeah, definitely. That was a good one. I have another list. Yeah. Cool. This list is sort of the next level list. I love these lists. The homeowner tools for DIY. So this is above and beyond maintenance tools. This is more like you have a a real task to do. Something you want to build. Build a second floor on your 400 (laughs) square foot garage. (laughs) This might not do it, but. Not might, right? Depends how handy you are. All right, let's see. So let's go through this list. Quickly. We'll go through it quickly. The first thing on the list, of course, is a cordless drill. Yeah. Everybody has one of these today, though. Everybody has one. The battery technology is yeah. awesome. You can buy them anywhere. They're cheap. You know You know a really cool one for an intermediate uh, person? I had a student bring in a driver, drill, driver, same thing. They brought in, have you seen this company Works? W-O-R-X? Yes. That has the flippable bit. Yes. This thing is so cool. Yes. And it's light, it's little, it's perfect for homeowners. I think it is perfect for homeowners. I don't know about everyday contractor use, 40 hours a week. I don't know if it would hold up. But for homeowners, I think it would be great. And it's great for a shop. So if you're a contractor out there and you need something for your shop, you need to pre-drill and drill all the time, it's a really cool little tool. I agree. And it's like 80 bucks. It's tiny. Anyway, go ahead. Second thing on the list, a jigsaw. Really? Yes. You trust people? I trust people. Right, I'm so very trusting. And in a jigsaw, I think most people know what a jigsaw is. You yeah. can make puzzles with it. Did yeah. you know you can make a jigsaw puzzle with a jigsaw? No. Actually, I don't think you can. They make them with scroll saws, I think. Really. I, I think they make them with presses, like a gigantic press, and they just, and it stamps the whole thing out. I want one of those. All right, so here's one of the tips about jigsaws. Go slow. Buy a good blade. Don't hit metal things. And go slow. Don't try to force a jigsaw because you're going to get bad results. Especially if you're making tight curves. Jigsaws really are great for cutting curves. Yeah. You can cut straight with them. You can yeah. notch things with them, obviously. Yeah. But I agree. Good blade. Good you blade. Can, you can put a good blade in a not-so-great jigsaw and still get good results. If you go slow. I agree. Okay. But what happens when you put a really bad blade in a really good jigsaw? Your cut isn't going to be straight. It's I gonna, agree. You're not going to be able to make a st- straight line, and then the, the blade going through the wood is going to be all crooked. It's terrible. So get Num- a good blade, go slow. Number three on the list, a circular saw. Down. This is how people lose fingers, JK. Contact your attorney. Call us later. And by the way, everyone, like chainsaws, everybody thinks they know how to use these tools, and you can really get hurt. So you need to... Wear your personal protective equipment. A number one, safety glasses. Because you're always looking on where the saw is going, right? And circ saws throw a lot of chips in Mm -hmm. every direction. Mm -hmm. Wear your safety glasses. And B number two, I personally have very sensitive ears, so I put on earplugs. I'm going to tell you something. Tell me something. The number one rule of using a circ saw, and I see it a lot, a lot, 
is people don't keep both hands on the saw. Mm-hmm. You must keep both hands on the saw. If you keep both hands on the saw, you're probably not going to lose a finger. If you have one hand holding the wood or whatever it is you're cutting, and you have one hand holding the saw, you are likely to lose a finger. So how do you keep that wood handy? You get one of those quick clamps. You clamp down the wood. Oh, so that, that should be on our list. So that, oh, quick clamp, which is basically a third hand. So you it's can true. keep both hands on the saw. One hand is on the handle with the trigger, obviously, and the other hand is on that handy little knob that every saw comes with up front. So one hand is on the handle, the other hand is on the knob, and you're going to use the saw with two hands, not one. Please, I don't want to see anybody lose fingers out there. They're dangerous. And do you need a good blade? Absolutely. Yeah, that seems to be a theme. All right, next one. Orbital sander. Oh, yeah. Oh, can we just back up a second? Yeah. Circular saw. Yeah. Most common size, most common configuration, sidewinder style. Yeah. Left motor, right blade, seven and a quarter inch blade. Okay. You know the best blade you can buy, in my opinion. Can I I tell you or are you just going to tell me? No, I want to hear it. A Diablo by Freud. Yeah, but what Diablo? They make like a bazillion blades. Uh, for a circular saw? Yeah, seven and a quarter. What I'm going to guess. Oh, come on, JK. This well, should be like So first this. of all, they're red. The best ones yeah. are made in Italy. You can get them oh, anywhere. Yeah. Here's the best blade. Save all of your money. Save all of your option. No. Buy a Diablo mm-hmm. demolition blade. It'll yeah, cut I think you're almost right. anything perfect. Even if you go through nails, it's still going to cut it next to perfect. And for your money... It's so worth it. I love that demo blade they make. Orbital sander. If you have to, I don't know, refinish part of your deck or refinish a handrail or you've got a little woodworking project, an orbital sander will do some quick work of smoothing out your wood. Yes. And they don't cost a ton of dough. You can get all types of different abrasives for them. Orbital sander. Yeah. Flat bar. Flat bar is next on the list. Some people might call it a crowbar, but that's different. A flat they bar. They make all sizes. What do you want people to get? The the mini wonder bar. The mini wonder bar? The full-size wonder bar. You know what I like? No, I don't. But I like a regular flat bar. I like the Stanley Fat Max. It's like a mega bar. It's like, what is it, 24, 30 inches long. Oh, that's it, ridiculous. Oh, it's wonderful. It's heavy. You use that all day, you're going to be hurting. But <laughs> you can do demo work with it. You can use the bar to bash things open. That's true, and it's I've incredible. done that. I personally, yeah. I'm going to guess, well, mine's a Vaughn. It's all blue. Yeah. I'm going to guess mine's probably 14 inches long. Yeah, those are nice, too. I think it's just a good all-around size. Yeah. Next on the list, caulk gun. Yeah, got to have one. Got to have a caulk gun for caulk. Silicone. We talked about this before. Did we? Yeah. Don't buy the cheapest one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't buy the $3 caulk gun. Buy the $10 or $12 caulk gun. I think it was with a collar. Yeah. Just buy Um, a better caulk gun. Sawhorses. Sawhorses. Sawhorses are good for setting up a workstation. Yep. Staging material. Yep. Uh, Working like a human. Off of the ground. Yes, off of the ground. I can't Please stand when people put m- miter saws on the ground. They put their stuff <laughs> on. It's like, I'm six foot two. I have long arms, but they're not that long. 
Put it up at waist level. Work like a human. Get some sawhorses, <laughs> and they're cheap. You can make them out of two by fours. Ooh, very true. Make a bunch of them. You're going to need at least four, usually six. If you're doing any type of intermediate project, you're going to need at least four. I agree, because yeah. you're going to want one set to work on, and you're going to want one, one set, set to, to stage hold material. The material. Correct. Yep, totally. Next on the list, a two, f- two foot level. So, ladies and gentlemen, I have four foot level on the list. Yeah. Michael is saying two foot, and yeah. I actually struggled with this. Yeah. Because four foot is a little long for some things. Yeah. And I feel like two foot's too short. Yeah, but you can get something longer to put the two foot level on to create As a, long as it's straight. As long as it's straight. If it's not straight, yeah. then. Piece of siding straight, right? Usually. No. You can go either either way with this, really. I think you could get a two, you could get a four, you could buy a two and a four. We're talking about. Homeowner tools for DIY, inter- yeah. intermediate people. Yeah. Yeah. Two foot. Just okay, get a fine. two foot and get a good one. Get a good one. Like Stanley makes a good one now. Get a good one. Don't buy the cheapest level. Yeah. And you also don't have to buy a Stabila. They're no, made don't in, do that. That's like what we would work with at work. No. Stanley stole their design and just makes the same stuff now. Yeah. Or you can go You can go to a box store and buy um, an Empire. Empire's decent. Oh, yeah. Empire's pretty good. Yeah. Um, if it has a t- ton of flex in it and you're you're starting to get serious about your DIY, don't get one with a ton of flex. Try to get something that's that's stout. One you could do demo work with. Oh, stop it. All right. So anyway, next, door open. next one, speed square. What's a speed square? A speed square is, uh, how do you explain this? It looks like a triangle. Yeah. They come in 7-inch length and 12-inch length. Yeah. And they have all sorts of measurements and scribe marks and yeah. a 45-degree angle. What size? They come 12-inch, 8-inch, 6-inch? I just said 6 and 12. 6 and 12. No, yeah. 7 and 12. Excuse me. Because a 7 almost stretches across a 2 by 8. And a 12 stretches fully across a 2 by 12. My favorite speed square is the 12-inch. 12 inches is great. Even, I just can't fit it in my tool belt. That's true. But I love using it. Um, <laughs> our buddy Ed, who's been working with us, shout out to Ed. He has been putting a 12-inch speed square in his pouch. Yeah, because it's the best tool ever. Well, we've been framing, and we're yeah. framing with 2x8s, with 2x12s, yeah. and it's super handy to have, especially if you're using that speed square for marking rafters yeah. and bird's mouths. yeah. You really do have to have the bigger one. Nobody builds with little lumber anymore. <laughs> they don't. Does this say string line? Yeah. And I'm going to tell you why string line is on here. You can do a lot with a string line. You mean a mason line? It's funny because I, I use the term mason line and string line interchangeably. So do I. And I think most people do. Well, then and, why you give me a hard time? Well, because you go to the store and you buy this bright orange or bright yellow line and they call it mason line. Or bright pink. Or bright pink, which is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. But... um. I like how you call it string line because sometimes I use my chalk line yes. as a as yes. a mason line, and my chalk yes. line is not a mason line. So let's just boil it all down to string line. So go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah. it's great. You can use a string line for a few different things. Yeah. You can put a little, you can snap a little bubble level onto it. Yeah. Not super accurate, but it can give you an idea of how level your string is. Yeah. Let's say you're building a fence and you want that fence to be really straight. Yeah. You tie off one end of that string yeah. line to one post and you stretch it all the way across the line to the other post and you pull it really tight and you've just made a straight line. Bang. Here's one of the things. You've basically made a laser line. 
you know, everyone's... Well, you haven't made a laser line, well, Michael. Listen, so every, You've made a straight line. So everyone's all about these laser tools, this and that, right? I always tell my students or people entering the trade or, you know, somebody just wanting to get serious about building. As a builder, as someone who wants to build and build well, as someone who wants to renovate, whatever, we build with levels, lines, and squares. If you build with levels, lines, and squares, you can build the pyramids. Mm -hmm. But if you don't build with level, lines, or squares, you cannot build the pyramids or almost anything else really well. We build with levels, lines, and squares. That's it. That's it. That's how buildings are built. That's how projects are done, is with levels, lines, and squares. One more time. Say it one more time. Levels, lines, and squares. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Here's the other thing about a string line. Yeah. You said something about a chalk line. Yeah. If you need to, you can rub chalk on a string line and turn it into a chalk line. I hope I never have to do that. That is the list. Was that nine items or ten? I don't know. I'm going to count with my fingers as I rattle them off. That's ten. Cordless drill, jigsaw, circular saw, orbital sander, flat bar, caulk gun, sawhorses, four foot or two foot level, speed square, and... String line, Mason's line. String line. And if you haven't fallen asleep yet, levels, lines, and squares. I had already forgot. Thanks for the reminder. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back in just a short bit. Don't go anywhere. Okay, JK, we have our next caller. This is, oh my God, this is Steve. Out of Delhi, I'm guessing it's the same Steve we talked to last time, where they had 30, 70, 100 inches of snow. I thought it was Delhi. It's Delhi? Delhi. Let's get him on the line. Let's do it. Good evening. Steve, this is Jeremy from the House Calls podcast. Hi, how are you, gentlemen? Great, how are you? Good, good. Steve, you called in before. I remember it was about snow guards on a roof metal roof and you have a new question shoot what's going on well uh i have several questions but uh, the (laughs) one that's probably the most relevant at the moment uh an upcoming project is a renovation of our bathroom oh nice Mm -hmm. and uh my wife wants uh, the floor heated okay Okay. and uh if i may we do have uh baseboard heat and there is a baseboard unit in it but uh, she wants to get rid of any type of area rugs, fire throw rugs, whatever they're called, get put in, you know, radiant heat in the floor. Uh, and so I'm calling to get any advice that I can with regards to probably quality brand and any type of any tips or suggestions with regards to the installation, et cetera. The first thing that we really need to distinguish here is the difference between true radiant heat and floor warming. What? Yes. Go ahead. So the electric heat mats that people have been putting in bathroom floors under their tiled floor are floor warming. So they will keep the floor warm and they will warm your bare feet when you walk in that room. But they won't heat the space. They will not heat the room. Yeah, right. I just wanted to make that clear. So which direction were you headed? Were you thinking true radiant heat or were you thinking floor warming? 
this would be floor warming. Okay. I'm yeah. taking up the tile, you know, ripping it down. And when, you know, the goal here would be, geez, well, I've got the floor of the old tile up before I put the new tile down and the subfloor and all of it getting ripped up and put in new. That's the time to do it, of course, to make that decision. But yes, this will be floor warming. Okay. So we just wanted to make that distinction. So is this something that you are going to be installing yourself or will you have a contractor do the installation? Myself. Believe I can do it. I mean, I've seen it on, you know, uh, television shows. Yeah, there's a couple things just to keep in mind. And Mike, please chime in if you're familiar with any of these systems. Number one, make sure that the kit that you get is sized appropriately for the room. And by sized, I don't mean um, sized like BTUs. I mean physically the square footage. You don't want this heat mat to go under things. Right. And you need to keep that heat mat away from things. So there are limitations with how close it can get to the toilet because you don't want to um, melt the, melt wax, the wax ring. You, know? yeah. um, you can't have it, you know, within X amount of inches of baseboards and vanities and things like that. So it's important that you understand how much heat mat you're getting for the space. Yeah. And then on top of that, what company do you use, Jeremy? Because I have a company that I like in mind right now, who do you use? Uh, we have used Schluter. We have used SunTouch. And we've been happy with both of them. Yeah. I like New Heat. New Heat is really a great company. In fact, if you send them a sketch of your bathroom, they will design the map for you. Ooh, that's handy. And send Very it handy. to you, which is pretty incredible. Very handy. Yeah. And just some other things to consider. You're going to have to embed this mat. So you almost, in a way, need to sort of work backwards from what type of tile you're going to put over this. If you're using maybe a very, very large format tile and you want that tile to go over an uncoupling membrane, you can get an uncoupling membrane that the heating cable snaps into. So you set the uncoupling membrane on the subfloor, you snap the heating cable through it, and then you put your tile over that. Yeah. If the floor maybe is wavy, or maybe you don't want to deal with an uncoupling membrane, what you might want to do is um, take the heat mat, roll it out. In some spaces and some brands, you can staple it to the floor, obviously not through the heat cable, and then take either self-leveling compound or just like a thin, modified thin set and just, I don't know how to, how to say this, but sort of like run it out over this mat so that you're embedding the mat in almost like a, like a masonry slurry. Yeah. Let that set up and then tile over that. So I was going to ask you this question because I've seen this done a couple ways. So New Heat claims you could just trowel right over their mat, right? Plastic trowel. Yeah, plastic trowel that they send you typically. Yep, yep. You will grout this mat down and then you will trowel right over the mat and put your tile right on top of the grout mat. Grout it down? Yeah, you grout it down. Or staple it down, actually. Okay. So the wires come through a mesh mat, you staple the mat down, and then you grout right over the, the electric mat, and you set your tile on top. I've seen guys, contractors, I've never done it this way, who will use like quarter-inch hardy backer, 
mm-hmm. party board, right? Mm-hmm. And then run a quarter inch perimeter around yes, the room. I've done that. Set the mat within that quarter inch perimeter mm-hmm. and then grout quarter inch so that the mat is embedded a quarter inch. So you're, so the interior of the mat sits in a quarter inch bed of mortar that runs flush up to the perimeter edge, and, which is a nice idea. And we did that one time. We took. How did it work out? What we were basically trying to do was screed, okay, yeah, off of the top of right. that perimeter okay, of gotcha. quarter inch cement board. Yeah, screeding meaning dragging a board from one side to the other. So basically, that perimeter, that quarter inch high, is the edge that a straight edge will just shimmy along to make sure that whatever's between it is nice and level with that. Correct. Yeah. And so your straight edge is riding over the top of the mat. And as you pull that straight edge, you are pulling your setting material over the top of it. So right. your thin set. Right. And um, it didn't work great because we didn't have we didn't have a great screed bar. Yeah. But people do do it that way. Yeah. And how did the tile hold up? We haven't heard back. Okay, cool. That's a good sign, right? Yeah, that's always the best. (laughs) (laughs) So, Steve, hopefully that's helpful. Have we pointed you in the right direction, and do you have any other questions? One question, then. The mat goes down, the the element goes into the mat. You put in your thin set seems to be the uh, uh, acceptable compound to use. Do you allow that to set up, and then once that's set up, you then use then set again in order to set your tiles? Yes, that's what we've done in the past. And and Michael is also nodding his head. Good, good, okay. Yeah, well, Great. thanks for the question. It was an excellent question. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the project, I guess. <laughs> excellent. Yeah, a, a heated floor in the bathroom and kitchen, can't go wrong. Great, well, thank you, gentlemen. Great, thank you. Thank you, Steve. Have Take a care. Great, have a great evening. Jeremy, do you think we helped that man? Yeah. Cool. And I too. think we help the listeners too. Yeah. I just I I get a little bit nervous when my my customers, clients, potential customers say to me, We want to do radiant heat in this bathroom. Can All we right. can we do the electric yeah. floor mat? And no, it was I, nice I have he- to really give that disclaimer. It was good you pointed that out. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. What? But you gotta remember, typically in a bathroom or a kitchen, well, maybe not the kitchen, but in a bathroom, they're typically small enough that they're not really interested in heating the space as much as they are about keeping their toes toasty. And here's the other thing. I think, now I don't have this in my own home. I believe that if you walk into that bathroom and your feet are warm, psychologically, the room will feel warmer. Yes, and it's not psychological. It actually works because... If you're heating up the coldest part of your blood, you're actually heating up your body. And you can stand higher temperatures, like being around a campfire outside. And apparently this has now turned into a medical show. Yeah, and we will take your calls on campfires (laughs) next. (laughs) If you are a tenant, you're a homeowner, you're a contractor, you're an architect, you're a designer, you're a prospective homeowner, and you've got questions, give us a call. 1-800-511-6842. Signing off another House Calls podcast in the books. And remember, call 1-800-511-6842. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the House Calls podcast. 
recorded at Silver Hollow Audio with your hosts, Mike Wentland and Jeremy Castle. This episode was produced by Brett Barry. Production assistant, Maxine Gross. Intermission music, Beach Bum by Kevin McLeod. Distributed by Anchor. Be sure to click that subscribe button and call us so we can feature your home question on the show. 1-800-511-6842. That's 1-800-511-6842. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.